0: Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Variety Co-Editor-in-Chief Andrew Wallenstein. There's been no shortage of turbulence at Facebook, given the myriad issue the company faces. But to meet those challenges head-on, CEO Mark Zuckerberg has turned to Fiji Simo, who is charged with charting the course for a very different future for the app. We recorded this interview, her first since taking the job, from the stage at Variety Silicon Valleywood event on April 23rd. Let's start with the elephant in the room, frankly. <laughs> I mean, you're coming into a leadership role at Facebook at a time of, let's be honest, incredible turbulence as the company deals with some pretty major issues, including data privacy, privacy. Uh, hate speech, misinformation, is this job one for you now? I can't imagine that there's anything but dealing with all these issues in your new capacity.
1: So, as you can imagine, this is priority number one, for sure. And uh, nothing else that we want to do, like providing more value for people who use the service, is going to matter until we solve all of these issues. So, it's definitely not the only thing I'm doing, but it's for sure the number one priority. Um, The thing that's important to understand, though, is that we have already made a lot of progress in how we've transformed the company to address these issues. so? Well, we were fundamentally not the same company we were a year ago because first we've hired a lot more people to tackle these issues and that's important not only in terms of scale, but also in terms of the expertise that these people bring. And we've also transformed a lot of the processes by which we build products. So. You know, I've been at Facebook eight years and what I'm seeing, in the, especially in the last year, is a lot more rigor in anticipating the bad and really getting rid of a little bit of the, you know, over-optimism that, that we used to have when we build products. And so now, if you look at something like these is big issues like elections integrity, if you look at what happened in 2016, we were very prepped for traditional types of harm, you know, like scams and spam and like, um, Account hackings, like these kinds of things. We weren't prepped at all for new types of harms, like, you know, uh, uh, nation states meddling with, with elections. And no one was, honestly. And so, right now, when you compare that with what we did in 2018 with the election, it was a completely different process. We partnered up front with uh, law enforcement. We had specialists inside the teams, inside war rooms, really anticipating all the ways in which these adversaries who were, were very sophisticated could attack our system systems. And so while I really won't say that this is, you know, done and we figured it out because it's going to be a year-long fight, we have fundamentally really changed the company to be much more prepared for these kinds of things.
0: When you say year-long fight, do you, do you mean do you mean that literally? Like years you're going to be long. able to solve everything? Or no, year-long. Years Sorry. There's
1: an S that matters
0: <laughs> Just wanted to <laughs> clarify that. Yeah. I mean, because as Mark Zuckerberg has talked about, it seems like there's a pretty fundamental pivot going on in terms of reorienting away from what he called the town square into more of a, a private approach, more focused on, you know, data encryption, messaging. That's not the world you came up with in Facebook. You've been instrumental in driving some great growth across video and advertising. And so I'm wondering, like, how does that all come together? How does pivoting not impact the monetization engines that you've put in place.
1: So the thing that's important to understand is what in what Mark is talking about is that both the town square and the living room are important, and we have both within the Facebook family. But what we've seen over the last couple of years is that the living room use cases are growing incredibly fast, and what we mean by living room, just to be clear, is all of these very private ways of sharing. And so it's really important for us to make sure that, since our mission is really allowing you to share in all the ways that you want, uh, to make sure that you have all the possible ways that are adapted to how you want to share in the future. And the Facebook app has a big role to play there because first, like, when you have such a vibrant town square, it can be a good jumping-off point for private one-on-one communication. And we see that all the time with video where we share, like, you share videos publicly as a page, but then people find them and start watch parties with just their five friends, or just we share them on Messenger. And so there's a big role to play there. And in addition, there's also another role to play with groups, which are really taking off on Facebook and allowing for more private spaces, including on things that you wouldn't even share with your friends. Like we see a lot of groups around health conditions and very, um, very private things. And so that's also something that I'm going to be investing a lot on because that is part of this trend towards the living room. But both cases are really important.
0: So in part of your years long fight, I'm curious, when are we going to see a new Facebook experience, and and how different will the experience be when when all is said and done? Because I think there's people wondering about even the most basic parts of the experience. The news feed, being for instance, the central piece of this, is everything under. Uh, does everything? Is there potential for change everywhere?
1: So we're always changing and evolving the product, and we always react to what our community tells us that they want. So like. A lot of changes are on the table. What I can tell you though is that for the Facebook apps, the thing we're really focused on is making sure that you can share in all the ways you want. So stories is a very, was a very big change for us. Like it occupies the top of newsfeed and that's something we continue to invest heavily on groups I just mentioned, that's also something you're going to see take on a much bigger space inside the app because we think that everywhere there are friends, there should also be groups. Uh, and so that's something that that you're going to see being more prominent. And then the other thing is that once you have a full network of everyone you know and everyone who shares your interest on Facebook, we can build a lot of really interesting services on top of that. We've seen Marketplace, we've seen Watch, and very recently dating. Uh, and so what we want to do is really give people access to these new ways of finding value for them. Uh, so it's not just a newsfeed and you're passively consuming information. But newsfeed can be a jumping off point to these new services, or even with our new tab system, you know, at the uh, at the top of the app where you can navigate to different experiences. We are introducing you to more services and more ways for you to find value out of this full network.
0: So, talk about what it's like now leading Facebook. I mean, obviously, we were in no small role before, but, you know, there were some pretty major executive departures in terms of uh, the people that were there before Chris Cox, Will Cathcart. This is now your show. Uh, talk about how operationally things may have changed now that it sounds like you've got pretty different strategic priorities.
1: So, I think uh, a lot a lot of what i talked about is a continuity to a lot of the things that were in the works for for many months mark has talked about his vision towards more uh more private messaging recently uh, and he really wanted to open up the dialogue early so that we would be able to work with with third parties to really develop that vision together uh but a lot of these concepts have i I've been in the works for a long time. And so a lot of what I think about, especially coming from more of an entertainment background, working on video and games, uh, is really how we can make this town square even more vibrant. And I think entertainment has a huge role to play there. I think, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you don't abandon all of your video and gaming roots that fast. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, I think... uh, the thing that's really magical about Facebook is that you can have these moments where everybody comes together around something that's happening in the world. And I think entertainment is uniquely positioned to do that in a way that is positive, lightweight, fun. Uh, and we saw it recently with uh, Red Table Talk and the uh, Jordan Woods episode where she explained all the drama with the Kardashians. Well that created a lot of buzz on our platforms, lots of reshares, people talking about it both publicly and privately. Um, And so this is a kind of thing that entertainment can uh, really offer to the platform. And the things I've always said when I was uh, leading video and games is that We fundamentally have a different approach to entertainment than most players because we are a social network. So for us, it's not about passive consumption for hours on your Friday night. It's much more like, what are these these types of content that are going to trigger conversations and be at the center of discussions among the community? And now that I'm in this new role, I see that as even more critical because that's really at the center of making this town square vibrant.
0: But I still want to hear more about what operationally is different. if I spoke to employees that work under you, would say is different now versus say the Chris Cox era that that you're doing because I think you're not facing just a consumer issue right now. I think even within Facebook, people want to hear that they're working for a product that is on the mend and is going to restore Facebook to its stature.
1: For sure. So a lot. If, if you're talking about all of the all of the issues that we we touched on at the beginning. A lot of that is like I started way before I, I was there, and I really don't want to take credit for all the work that has happened. I am putting a lot more emphasis on that uh, as as I take on this new role, because, like I said, you know, everything else I've talked about, which sounds really fun and awesome in terms of giving people more value, just won't matter if we don't fix this. So operationally, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with all the teams in charge of all of these different types of issues, whether it's election integrity, all of our content uh problems all of like privacy and um and really setting the tone that this is what we need to address first but also not losing sight of all the good that Facebook does and you know the reason I'm so excited about this role is because I've seen firsthand that like Facebook creates so much good in the world, so much of it that we take for granted sometimes, but it's always so heartwarming to have people telling me like we've met my wife, I've met my wife on Facebook, I found a group that's so meaningful and provides me with support. And so I, don't, I also don't want to lose sight of that and making sure that we continue to make that better.
0: And when you came into the role, there was part of a broader reorganization with Mark Zuckerberg getting direct reports at, at Instagram, a new, uh, also at uh, WhatsApp, Messenger... How is the sort of coordinated effort going on? Because I assume it's not as simple as you're sitting in your silo waving everyone in the distance.
1: (laughs) Definitely not. So the good news is that if you look at all of the heads of the app, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, Messenger, we've all worked together for a very long time. So Cascart runs WhatsApp. I've worked for him for years. I've worked with Adam Moser for many, many years. And so we've sort of grown up together in the organization and are already used to really working together. So obviously, Mark helps a lot with making this coordination happen, but it's also very natural for us to spend a lot of time together to figure out where we want to take the company. And a lot of the issues that we talked about really cut across. They're not specific to one specific platform. And so really, when we talk about these issues, we talk about them as like Facebook Inc. and making sure that we can really address them across the board. And that's actually a very big advantage to be able to look at these adversarial actors, look at all of these Problems and really make sure that we're addressing them holistically across all of our four apps
0: Let's move on to Facebook Watch, a product you've been instrumental in the development of. It's been two years now. I kind of want to ask you the same question I asked Jim Lanzone from CBS, who was sitting out here about an hour ago. You guys are in a very crowded, very consolidated streaming category with tons of programmers out there spending a lot of money And frankly, I think there's been some criticism that Facebook Watch is certainly leaps and bounds in terms of where video was, say, a year or two ago on Facebook, but can't make a comparison to, say, YouTube or Netflix. So what is Facebook Watch now? Mm -hmm. Give us a sense of how it's evolved and where it's going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really taken off. Um, recently, we we released stats uh, that we had seventy five million people a day uh, spending time on uh, Facebook on Facebook Watch at least one minute and on average twenty minutes, uh, and four hundred million people a month. That has increased since, and uh, we are really seeing people uh, love going to the product and spend more time there. The thing that's really special about our approach is that it's really not about you know um, focusing just. Just on the content, or focusing uh, really just on on competing with all of the players that you mentioned, it's really about taking an approach that is in line with what the rest of the app is about, which is social connection. So that's why you see us invest heavily in products like Watch Party, which is also really taking off, uh, because fundamentally these types of products are the, the root of what makes us special. It's about connecting with others and connecting with the community as well. We see a lot of groups. Uh, attached to specific shows like Red Table Talk. Um, and we see these fan communities really light up when, when the content is available at the same place as the conversation about the content. Uh, and so I think that's what makes us really special. It's still early. I mean, we're two years in. So uh, and like you said, we're in a very competitive market. Uh, but we're fundamentally taking a very different approach to the rest of the players in the space.
0: You've taken some interesting steps in terms of bringing some sort of licensed content uh, from TV from, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Buffy.
1: Yes, that's
0: really cool. And I'm curious, how did that go? And how come we're not seeing you guys take, like, I know you're doing some scripted, but nowadays it's like, if you're not spending $10 million an episode, yeah. it's like, are you even there? Yep. <laughs>
1: So, again, it goes back to what are we trying to optimize for? You know, uh, for us, sort of, like, the ideal type of content is the episode of Red Table Talk with Jordan Woods. It's, like, it's something that everybody was talking about in fan groups across, like... Kardashian groups, like Jada Pinkett Smith groups, like you could see like these conversations light up. And so that's really what we're focused on. Scripted content can do that sometimes, uh, but it's pretty damn expensive, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and so we're very careful when we go into scripted to really focus on things that do drive that conversation. We did Sorry for Your Loss with Elizabeth Olsen. We did Sacred Lies and we did see, uh, these communities being, uh, really, um, really excited about this content but what we're really trying to do is not just rely on our funded content but apply that across the rest of our ecosystem so that any type of content can benefit from these tools and have a conversation emerge around this content
0: speaking of conversations i can imagine conversations with marketers have evolved you're going into the upfront season are you singing a different song in terms of what monetization is going to look like uh, in terms of how advertising plays in all this
1: yeah, so the fact that we have a lot more video viewing on Facebook and that it's also in longer videos has enabled us to really kickstart the in-stream uh, business. And one of the things that we've done recently and announced in February is an our showcase uh, suite of products, which is really meant for TV and digital buyers to buy in the way that they're used to with, you know, uh, reserve buying in specific categories, etc., uh, and even all the way to sponsorship. And that's a way to really evolve the conversation with different types of buyers uh, to really make them understand what our platform can do, to make them more comfortable with our content as well. Uh, and we're seeing really good feedback so far.
0: Let's talk about another element of Facebook's video strategy, Live, <laughs> which, again, some, some degree of controversy, I think, has kind of overshadowed whatever growth you've gotten there. Last month, the New Zealand massacre Put a spotlight on a subject that affects other platforms as well, but how to properly identify objectionable content as quickly as possible. You know, Mark Zuckerberg has talked about this improving. I assume you're involved in this. What what can you tell us that will give some comfort that this is something Facebook is going to be able to sort of really take control of?
1: Yeah, so especially in light of the, the Christchurch massacre, we we know that we need to do more to protect people uh, on live, and we're looking at ways to do that in terms of restricting access to live uh, for people who have had violations in the past. So that's something we're we're actively looking at. Uh, the issue when we do things like that is that you have to balance like trying to prevent that type of harm with also not limiting the really good use cases. And I hear every day our live used by minorities to uh, make sure that like, it will limit police brutality. They go live whenever they get pulled out uh, by a cop. Uh, we have seen cases in Kerala during the flood where a man went live because he couldn't reach any like, uh, any uh, support system uh, and he got rescued thanks to being on Facebook Live. And these are just regular people going live every day. These are not celebrities. And so if we limit access to these types of people, uh that would actually cause some harm. So um, I know that sometimes you know it's easy to say, well we should just do like the most drastic thing ever. But in reality, all of these decisions are incredibly nuanced because these products are used mostly for good and sometimes for bad. And we have to be incredibly careful where we draw the line so that we limit most of the bad
0: but don't get rid of the good. But are you drawing a line? No one's asking for the most drastic solution. They want to just get a sense that Facebook is evolving here and can do better.
1: Absolutely evolving and absolutely can do better. Um, You know, one of the things that, is uh that where we've made a lot of progress is artificial intelligence to detect a lot of these things uh proactively. In the case of something like the Chrysler massacre, it's incredibly hard for artificial intelligence to detect something like that for obvious reasons. You know, artificial intelligence needs thousands of videos to detect a pattern, and thank God we do not have thousands of these types of videos. And so while we're making progress, these issues are incredibly hard and the solutions are not obvious. So what we do in this cases is, is that we're very thoughtful. We partner with external parties to make sure that whatever we're going to do is not going to hurt any part of the ecosystem that is actually worth preserving. But this is constantly evolving. So to your question, absolutely, we can do better. And in fact, you see that in the evolution of our policies. There's plenty of times where we change our policies, you know, on a very regular basis because we realize they're not appropriate uh, for the types of threats that we face anymore. You know, a good example of that is, is the hate speech policy a couple of years ago, hate speech towards refugee wasn't like a massive thing, so we didn't have that as a specific category. We had like you know typical racism and things like that, but not, uh, not that. And when we saw that it became a thing, we had to change our policies to evolve. And that's something we do in partnerships with local communities, who understand better what's going on on the ground. Uh, but it's something we constantly evolve.
0: But that's kind of a recurring theme in this conversation in terms of Facebook's responsiveness to new crises. You are now leading this app. Are you building into Facebook's culture the ability to evolve faster than you used to? Because I think there's no arguing the fact that this was not – this was a weakness of Facebook as a company.
1: I agree. Um, I think – I think it's not just to, like react faster but it's also be proactive. I think the problem has been that we have been reactive in the last few years to a lot of these uh, these things being brought to our attention and now I think the biggest change in the culture that we're making is actually when we build product before launching them, consulting with experts, consulting both internally and externally to really understand how the products can get misused and you're right that it's absolutely a drastic change uh, but I I think it's going to help us actually uh, deliver a much better product for people.
0: All right, one last subject I want to touch on is Facebook's relations with publishers. You know, for instance, Mark Zuckerberg very recently, I think, floated the idea that there could be a separate tab where there would be uh, perhaps a curation of news partners who would actually get paid to be there. I mean, when you look across, you know, video and live and, and everything, I think there has been this sort of push-pull, you know, forward-failure relationship with publishers that I don't think has really endeared Facebook. And you've been in the middle of those conversations. So say something here that's going to give publishers an idea (laughs) of what Fiji (laughs) SEMO's secret recipe is to get a harmonious, mutually beneficial relationship going.
1: Not to put me on the spot. Oh. (laughs) So... You know the thing that's really important to understand is that news is critical to us, not just because we want to have a good relationship with publishers, but because when you ask people who come to Facebook, why did you open the app? A large number of them say that they opened the app to consume news. So, in terms of trying to figure out a model, we are on both sides very uh, committed to trying to to serve this need. Uh, now, to your point, like there's been a lot of ups and downs in this relationship in big. Part because we we do really focus on the needs of consumers and like especially in the last year we really focused on meaningful social interactions between uh, between people and and that also always creates some tension with publishers. However, we are really invested in building a better relationship, and this idea of a news tab is a way to figure out like is there a space we can create where we can really work with publishers to set more of the rules that would create an environment where um, publishers and Facebook have have incentives that are more aligned Uh, and I'm really excited about that. And there's also more that we can do. You know, we are very invested in local news because we think it's very critical. And, and in fact, a lot of people on Facebook tell us they want to see more local news. And so we're investing in an accelerator to help a lot of local news uh, publishers develop subscription models, which we think are going to be really critical. And also in general, developing new models for journalism. And, uh, if Facebook can help with that, because, you know, you can't undo the internet. So a lot of things have changed. But if Facebook can be part of the solution and really help uh, publishers with figuring out how to adapt and offer them some tools for monetization, I think we'll be in a better place. And there's no doubt that we need to do some work there.
0: So is that news tab thing, that, that's definitely happening?
1: We're very early. Uh, we, we think it has promise, but we are really just uh, taking a step back and trying to talk to partners to figure out how to build it the right way, if it makes sense. Um, and so that, that's going to be a very collaborative ex- uh, experience and something that we really haven't done before. Uh, so we don't want to commit too early, but that's something we're definitely exploring.
0: Well, Fiji, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you get back to work. There's a lot to be done. That sounds thank good. You thank thank for you for time. having me. <laughs> This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.